I just uh, love those songs. It's just great to really engage in them in a great way. And it's great to see the kids up here, too. I'm going to tell you what, they are way better than me. Because I'd be one of them bad kids. I'd be throwing them little sticks. I'd be hitting the person in front of me. I mean, it would just be an ugly ordeal. But I just praise God for that. So, uh, with it being one week away, Christmas, you know that we're going to be in here Christmas morning. I know some of y'all can't make it. Everybody's going to be busy. But if you're here, we're going to have worship at 11 o'clock. From 11 to 12, we're going to have that. If you want to bring me a gift, go right ahead. And it could be a gift card to Golden Corral. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> or you're going to burn. All right, so, but I just want you to know that we're going to be in here Christmas Eve at 6 o'clock. And it'll be a great time in the Lord. So I just encourage you to be here. Bring your families. Bring people. It's a great time to really engage with the Lord. So here is what we're going to do. Psalm 34, verse 8. We're going to go to a couple places. I got a lot on my heart this morning because you know that the Lord's been pouring out some stuff and he's been pouring out stuff and he wants us to engage with it. He wants us to dive in. David Padilla, you're in sin, eating donut, looking at me right now through that window, you sinner. Um, he is seriously, he's outside the window looking at me going and eating a donut. That's why he needs Jesus. All right. Psalm 34 verse eight says this taste and what? Uh, come on now, we're family. Come on, come on. We are family. Taste and what? See. That the Lord is good. That makes no sense to me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Listen, I, we, we've all been there. If it don't look good. All right, I'll go over here. If it doesn't look good, you're not going to what? Come on, you know you've had kids. You've been around kids. You've been a kid. If it don't look good. You're looking at it, and it just looks sloppy and nasty. Come on. You're going, there's no way I'm going to put that in my mouth. In fact, you can trick kids. You can make it look good, and you know they're not going to like it, but at least you're going to get one bite out of it. And you can put cinnamon sugar on anything, and Lord Jesus is coming soon. So I'm telling you, it, when it doesn't look good, you don't want to eat it. So to me, it makes no sense. Why would Jesus say, taste and see? When that's not the way the world works. The world says, see it. All right, look, I'm going to have to go ahead and break it down for us. Now, come on now. To the man in the room, let's get real spiritual. Come on, man. Don't get shy. Hey, you know when somebody up here is preaching and they start talking to men, men get super restless. Because we're the biggest sinners in the house. You know what I'm talking about, ladies? But I just, ladies, ladies are all these emotional and, you know, he's so nice. He's so full of the Holy Spirit. And I'm over here going, have you looked at his face lately? <laughs> and why do you like him? Because Jesus. And here's the guy verse. <laughs> she is with him. I know I'm better looking than him. I mean, look at him. He looks like a busted can of biscuits. He can't even buy clothes at H&M. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. If I went there, I would bust a can on the bottom and the top. <laughs> Get a visual. So, so what happened, man, come on, man, tell the truth. If, if she looks good, am I talking to any man in the house and y'all just feeling real guilty because she's next to you? <laughs> you know the best thing you can tell her this morning is, mm, you look so good, you make time stand still. Or you could look say it the other way. When I look at you, you got to face it and stop a clock. Either way you want to say it. <laughs> 
Same meaning. Same meaning. So, man, come on, tell the truth. If you see something and you see her and she looks good, well, hello. The Lord can be speaking. Right? Thank you. Marcus, I got one. It's nothing wrong. I tell, I tell the football team, it's nothing wrong with walking by men when you're single. They, I got to qualify that, okay? I mean, I don't want <laughs> If you're single and walking by, this beautiful lady come forward and saying, nice job, God. Nice job. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. There's nothing. Somebody just said, wow. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't understand taste and see because it's the total opposite. And then, I, I literally, I was listening to just a, I love sermon jams. I love YouTube. I love listening to sermon jams where they put music behind words. And, 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 and also I was listening to a little one on Piper. And he was made a comment about this. And as if the Holy Spirit just clicked it in my heart. And it's exactly right. The reason why God says taste and see because it's the opposite of our flesh. Because here's why. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I got to turn there, and Brandy is so sweet, who is a daughter to me. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 says this The little G, the little God of this age, he's talking about Satan, check this out, of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot what, saints? See? God duped Satan. When he said in Psalm 34, taste and see, it's the exact opposite of the way Satan tries to attack us. Satan tries to blind our sight, but God says, don't come to me with your sight. Come to me with your taste. You see, here's what the Lord showed me. and Here's what the Holy Spirit showed me. If you come to God with just your sight, then all you're going to want is more miracles. But when you come to God with your taste, all you want is more of him. That's what the Lord showed me. So when you, listen, when you ingest Jesus Christ in your life, I promise you, you can never be the same. I promise you, you can never be the same. The same Jesus Christ that overturned tables, that made whips and cleared out because there was an injustice in his house as a foreshadowing of judgment to come. Jesus is one of the toughest people I'm thinking about who willingly says, here, take my body. And just destroy it. So somebody who's cursing me, I am going to love. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How tough of an individual is that? And Jesus is saying, if you taste me, you will never be the same. Here's what happens when I know in the Lord. When you taste Jesus, your sight changes. I go back to my point earlier with ladies. The Holy Spirit makes you hot. Guys, if you're single in the room and you want a beautiful lady... All you got to do is be on fire for Jesus. God absolutely blinds ladies' sight to see your heart. <laughs> I am a witness of this. I mean, ladies, some of you that are married in this room, you're nudging, your, you're, you're, you're not saying amen because you don't want your husband to think, but you're like, yeah, he's right. Because as he's aged, I'm the only one that's still looking good. And so, I'm just kidding. And so what happens is, think about it, because when you taste the Lord, everything absolutely changes. Everything changes. And so Satan is due because Satan tries to mess with our sight. That's why there's external temptation because our desire and our hearts are evil in James chapter 1. But here's what's going to happen. When God changes our want to, when he changes our desire, then our sight totally changes. Now my eyes look into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help coming from the Lord maker of heaven and earth. I stop looking horizontally and I start looking vertically. And as I look vertically, then I can look horizontally. 
Because if I see things through God's eyes, then I see people totally different. And that is what happened to the shepherds. Luke chapter 2. Let's turn there. Oh, that was good. That was like a little free sermonette for a Christianette from a majorette. Here we go. Y'all like, what is he eating today? Not enough. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. So they read it. The children read it. We've been in the same passage for three weeks because we can't get out of it because it is focused on Jesus and what he's done. So I'm going to use some New International Version. I'm going to bust in my little King James because when I was little and they make you memorize their stuff, all we had was the King James Version. Y'all got 25,000 versions. All I have was a big Bible that you better not touch or you will die. Y'all know what I'm talking about if you were raised that way. In verse 8. And there were shepherds keeping watch out in the fields of their flocks by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. But the angel said unto them, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, or Messiah, who is Christ the Lord. And I love this part. He said, this will be a sign unto you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company, company of heavenly hosts appear with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And look what happened. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, I mean, somebody stepped out of heaven and stepped into this world. Dimension language. It's like one of our math professors, I told you this, but she was, it was actually in this room right here. They had this divider closed off when we were here, and they had the executive committee of the board of trustees, and I don't know why they had me in this stuff. And so I'm sitting over there and right here, and she comes up, she's for tenure, and so they're, they're voting whether or not to give her tenure, so they're interviewing her. And they said, well, how do you integrate faith in the classroom? And this math professor here said, it's pretty easy. And they all looked at her and said, how is it easy? She said, because I can show you algorithms that can prove to you there are dimensions you cannot see. So if mathematically I can prove to you there are dimensions you cannot see, how easy it is it to show you there's a God you cannot see? Pretty impressive. Shut everybody up real quick. She made it through with flying colors. <laughs> dimension. How close is the dimension? Some of you freaking out. I mean, it could be right here. When the angels had left them, Going into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Let's pray. Father, I beg you to change my heart and produce in my heart an absolute fire so that I will have a flaming tongue. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock, my redeemer. And I, don't, I pray that I don't come with any wise and persuasive words. I, I want to come with a demonstration of the spirit and the power that you could take somebody like me who absolutely knows nothing, but they can turn around and say that he's been with Jesus. 
So, Lord, I pray today that we will taste and see that you are good. So if our taste changes, then what we look to will change. If my taste change, then I choose something different on the menu. I pray today you would change us from the inside out, that our hearts would be changed. God, we need to raise up for Jesus. We only have a certain amount of breaths left in this world. And what we do with the breath that we have will show what's really in our heart. And Lord, with everybody turn around at Christmas and, and whatever they want to say, um, if, if they want to go secular holidays, may I scream Merry Christmas louder. Lord, I pray you would radically change us today. So I'm asking you, Lord, that you be seen and felt and known. And may we not be ashamed of the gospel. May we not be ashamed of what you ask us to do. And God change our will. We ask this by the one who not only was nailed to the cross, but destroyed death and was raised from the dead. And there's not a cross. There's not a gun. There's not a knife. There's nothing that can stop Jesus Christ. There's not a beheading. There's not a poison. There's nothing that this world can do to stop the movement of God. So I pray, God, that you would move in us today. So, Lord, not only have you forgiven us because of Jesus Christ, but you have raised us for such a time as this. Now, may we stand up and stand strong and see the glory of God. So we love you, Lord. We pray our hands are clean, our hearts are pure, so that we can understand you today. Speak, Lord, as the prophet Samuel said. Your servants are listening. And in Jesus' name, all the saints said what? Amen. 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 So one song I love is Angels We've Heard on High. I love that. Uh, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. And then they go to the Latin phrase, right? Gloria in excelsi steo, or, or what it means is glory to God in the highest. And so I look at this and I see this heavenly praise and I, and I, and I, I see something happen. Somebody said this, I, I think it was probably where somebody said this. He said that Jesus came and this is the main idea on Facebook. Here's what I want you to just make a note in your phone. I put it down where you can see it over and over and over. Jesus came so he can overcome. Oh, that was good. Jesus came so that that's the main idea. That's the main focus in this passage. He came so that he can overcome. And now I want us to look at some things of what he can do and how he, he overcomes. For me, it was, it was amazing to see this. Uh, for example, uh, Jesus came to overcome. Here's, a, here's one little sub-note, a uh, sub-point. Jesus came to overcome. Well, what did he overcome? Jesus came to overcome. Here's number one, division. Jesus came to overcome division. There is not a gang in this world that should be tighter than the church of Jesus Christ. There's not a family that should be closer. And see what happens when we come in this room, we're all in our flesh and everything's awkward, right? It's just awkward. Everything is all Worship goes against the very thing your flesh engages with. So why is worship so tough? Because it's not a flesh exercise. It's a spiritual exercise. But you've got to taste Jesus in here before you live him out there. Like people can't see Christ in me until I have Christ in me. 
And so he overcomes the vision. Look at this. He came to shepherds. I love in Genesis where he explained about what the Egyptians thought about shepherds. Shepherds were the outcasts of society. Uh, they were the, nothing in there all the way back. And so here is this, this whole ideology of history of shepherds. Shepherds were just, they're like my people. You know what I'm saying? They're trash. Capital T. That's my type of people. I love it. I told you. That's why I love Golden Corral. You can feel good about yourself when you're in there. If you're ever having a bad day, go to Golden Corral. You will think you are good looking when you walk out. I know what I'm talking about. Go. It will change your life. You will think my house is not as dirty. My silverware is not as, as much more clean. I mean, when you pick up silverware and have the food still on it, just look at it. It'll be all right. Don't get grossed out. It's, I'm telling you. It's, it, what happens is Jesus overcame, listen, Jesus came to overcome division. So the enemy, all he wants to do is sow discord. So you know what it is. It's that uh, Christmas vacation moment when Cousin Eddie shows up. And you're like, why do I have a marriage family member? Right? I mean, that's what you're thinking. Why? But see, here's what, it's not who comes to our house that makes it a home. It's who lives in our heart that makes it a home. And if Jesus is the one who's changing us, then whoever steps into my house is going to feel the presence of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying they like him. I'm not saying they're going to follow him or bow to him. But here's what I will say is that you and I are so on fire for the Lord that people can't help but feel something. Jesus came to overcome. If you remember that statement this whole Christmas, wherever you go, whatever you do, he came to overcome and overcome division. Look, I'll show you. Here's an example of division. Uh, Robbie, I think it's one of your favorite passages, Ephesians chapter 2. So let's turn there. Uh, of course, uh, Brandon put it up there. Ephesians chapter 2. Here's a simple way to show division. Ephesians 2 verse 12. Check this out. Ephesians 2 verse 12. Here's how Jesus came to overcome. Remember, whatever you're facing, Jesus can overcome. There's not a poison he can drink that will keep him down. And there's not a word that anybody can say that will make him shut up. Because he has the final word. He's the alpha and the... Ephesians 2, 12. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. Oh, do I remember those days. Right? Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. And listen to this. This is how I know. This is how I know. Because without God, look at this, without hope and without God in the world. People think because they put up some type of Christmas bottle quote in their house that God is with them. God is more than just a scripture reference. He is the king of kings. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus came to overcome. And the one thing that he overcomes, first and foremost, is division. I wish I had time. I have all kinds of stuff. I've got notes. Go on Facebook. I even gave you the backstory of the 12 days of Christmas. Oh, I wish I had time this morning to explain to you where that song came from in the 1500s, and it was a Catholic catechism. I wish I had time to tell you what are the 12 days. And early in church history, by the 8500s, I wish I had time to tell you people right now, back in church history, they don't do it like we do it now because culture has kind of determined the church when the church ought to say, we are the church. But what they did is they would, they would talk about where, 
All this thing, how much we need Christ, how much we need Christ. And on December 25th, there would be explosion in the early church. Christ came, and they would have 12 days. And it would go from December 25th all the way to the night of January 5th. So it ended up being like January 6th. And that was the 12 days of Christmas. And each day, there was an explosion of worship for what Christ had done. In fact, I even put it on there. Like December 26th was the Feast of St. Stephen. Uh, it's a traditional day of giving the leftovers to the poor. And so in the 500s, what they would do, the very next day after Christmas, all the Christians would give to the people who didn't have anything. And whatever food they had, they gave it away. Whatever presents they had, they would give it away. And it was the idea of Stephen. I mean, this is where the song Good King Winsless came from. You look it up. That's where it came from. It was the idea of giving. So there was a celebration that Christ came. So Christ came so that he could overcome. And the church was saying, we don't need anything because we've got the one who has everything. I'm talking to myself today. And we see this in St. The reason why they saw St. Stephen because Stephen was the first one who was killed in Acts chapter 6 and 7, right? He was the first one who gave his life because he didn't count his life valuable at all. He counted Christ worthy of all. The next day, you see St. John the Evangelist. Uh, he was the one who didn't die as a martyr, but he talked about uh, his, he, he used the incarnation of Jesus Christ and he turned Greek philosophy, uh, I love this writer, upside down. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the second day, they were celebrating that Jesus, this, this word, the word of God. Uh, how about the December 28th? December 28th was, I think it's, I wrote it down in there, is the Feast of Holy Innocence. And they would, they would celebrate that even in the midst of trial, Jesus is Lord. And they would talk about when Jesus came, King Herod went on a rampage. And from every kid to and under, he killed them all called Holy Innocence. Right? These innocent kids died, and yet did God still have a plan in it? And so for 12 days, there was an absolute explosion in the early church. Oh, if we only could live that Jesus came to overcome. Let's keep reading Ephesians chapter 2. For he himself is our peace, verse 14. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ, 13, 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its command and regulations his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross which he put to death their hostility Jesus came to reconcile. Nobody in this room and nobody outside of this room is too far gone for Jesus. Nobody. He came to reconcile. He, Jesus came to overcome whatever is division in our heart or division in our family, division with everybody else. He came to overcome that because that's what he does. And how did he do it? Look at verse 15. How did he do it? He did it. This is by setting, I love this, by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations, his purpose to create in himself a one humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. How did he do it? Through the cross. Not through books. Not through education. Not through my parents taking me to church. Not through works. So that no man may boast. Ephesians 
Not through being nice. Not through scripture memory. Not coming to church worship. He overcame by the cross through the blood of the Lamb. And now we taste Him and we can't get enough of Him. He changed us. Look at verse 15 again. I want to read something to you. Look at verse 15. He set aside in His flesh the law with His commands and regulations. His purpose was to create Himself one in humanity. Let me just read Piper because it makes sense to me. Like I said, when I read him, it's like C spot run for me. This is just the way it works. What Paul is saying, as long as the Old Testament law Specifically, the law and its commandments and ordinances was the foundation of how people reconcile to God. This is what Paul's writing in that verse. As long as there's a law, like do good things, Ten Commandments language, which was only meant for how people should live in community, by the way. If that is the way people thought that they could reconcile with God, the Gentile, oh, this is so good. The Gentiles would always be on the outside and the Jews themselves would be alienated from God because even for them, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Laws, he said, don't change hearts. And can I get a witness? You can legislate in the government all you want. Diversity reconciliation. You can legislate anything you want to try to change the hearts of man, but you'll never change the heart of man through a law. It's only when you taste and see. So what's happening? There's a dividing wall. There was a dividing wall. There was a court of the Gentiles, right? And there was a court of the Jews. There was a dividing wall. And it read on that wall. And basically, if you go past that wall, you won't die as a Gentile. But here's the problem. The problem was the Gentiles were alienated because they were a different race. They were non-Jew. The Jews were alienated because they couldn't live up to the law. This is beautiful. I love this. Look at Romans 3.20. Romans 3.20 says this. I think, is this going to go up there? Because this is really good. Yeah, here we go. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight. Look what it says, the word of God, by the works of the what, saints? There's not a law that can make us right before God. There's not a tithe you can give. There's not being good to honor your parents. Uh, there's not, and there's not a law that you and I can do to make us right with God. Because if the law can make us right with God and we can honor our parents good enough, why did he send Jesus? Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, the, the, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. The law shows dirt, mirrors show dirt, mirrors don't clean. That's what the law does. So there's a, there's a dividing wall, and only Jesus can knock down the wall. Again, Jesus came to overcome division. Now, here's what's beautiful in that. Oh, this is so good. What, 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 did, what does Jesus came to overcome mean? Listen to this. I, I, I'm going to read this. He provided a righteousness for Jew and Gentile. For all who would believe in him. And he did this by making himself their substitute. His punishment was theirs. His righteousness is theirs. Both coming to completion on the cross. Look what it says there in Ephesians. And look what it says there in Ephesians chapter uh, 2.14. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed. He, the Jew and the Gentile one. 
And he did this. He's destroyed the barrier that divided all hostility. And some of y'all are going to get mad at me, but I got some spiritual words for you. I don't care. Here's what I'm trying to say. When Jesus came, he, devoid, I mean, he destroyed not only the division between God and man, but between man and man. I could care less if my children bring home a green Martian for a spouse. No care. I don't care if they're red, yellow, black, white, all precious in the sight. Let me just let you know, I've told you this a thousand times, but please let it be known, let it be known, therefore let it be written. I don't know, I just wanted to say it sounded good. <laughs> that there's only one skin color and it's brown. That's why white people tan people. Now, now some of you in here, white as a cracker and nothing happens, you just get red like me and it just goes away. Sorry. Bad genetics, blame your, blame your heritage, I don't know. But my point is this. There's only one color. My children bring home somebody who says they're African-American. I could care less. But whoever they bring home, they better love Jesus. Or they're going to step right out. Or both of them are going to step out. <laughs> Maybe not the way they came in. That was good. My point is, there's no barrier. And I don't care what the world says. You can go look at Genesis right now. There's only one color, and your DNA determines. And, and the heritage and environment and all this other stuff, yeah. There's only one color. That's why there's Adam and Eve. It just proves it again. The Bible's true. But here's what I want us to understand. There's a hostility. Look, look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made the two who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of what? I didn't hear you. The dividing wall of what? Yes, yeah, so there's hostility between man and God. The Bible says, while we were still enemies, come on, somebody, Christ did what? So there's hostility, but here's what, listen, as long as there's hostility between man and God, there will always be hostility between man and man. I'll get real uncomfortable on me. But when Jesus takes away the dividing wall that they saw in the temple, it meant that the Jew and the Gentile were in the same place. Both are righteous. There's only one race. Some of you might not like that. You might not have been raised that way. But just because you were raised a certain way, don't make it right. There's only one person that can raise us in Jesus. From the dead. So now, I love this. This means we are no longer, I love Piper right there, no longer separated from Christ, and it also means the reconciliation of ethnicities. In other words, there are many bloodlines that become one bloodline. Read the book Bloodline. I've encouraged people to read that. I, I ask you to read that book. You want to you wanna be changed by the way you think about uh, uh, horizontal relationships? That's why there's a cross. You can't have a horizontal without a vertical. The vertical supports the horizontal, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm saying is what happens is, is now when the vertical's right, the horizontal's going to be right. Christ removes the hostility, I've said this, between men by removing the hostility between God and men. That was good. Now I'll read it again. 
Christ removes the hostility between men by removing the hostility between God and men. So we move from separation to reconciliation. God came, Jesus came to overcome. What's the first thing he did? To overcome what? Test. What is it? Okay, five past. All right, good. The next thing, I got to go move fast. Jesus came to overcome fear. Jesus came to overcome fear. Now, let's go back to our primary text. Luke chapter 2. He came to overcome fear. Look at Luke chapter... Oh, this is dropping down on me. Luke chapter 2. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flocks by night. Verse 9. Sorry to bust King James because it's just memorized. And lo, an angel of the Lord. I know I didn't say lo on there. And lo, I'm with you always. That's why you don't need to fly. Just kidding. Um, sorry. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were what, saints? Yeah, they were fearful. They were terrified. I mean, what's, what's amazing here is that they were afraid. But when they encountered the glory of God, it changed the fear in their heart. No longer, no longer because God chose them, they didn't have to fear God anymore. Jesus came to overcome fear. So here's what I'm saying. Is fear a good thing in healthy ways? Yes. For example, there's something he said the Lord will show me about fearing God. John 28, um, excuse me, Job 28, verse 28. And we can do this. This is really good. So this is Job and one of his near getting close to a final discourse because there's over 40 chapters in the book of Job. But Job says this. Look at this. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord that is what? Because see, if you fear the Lord, then what you're going to do is respect it. It's, a, it's not a fear as paralyzation. I'm not paralyzed to get up here and preach, though I will jack up Jesus. I will, I will make him look not like he's supposed to look. But that fear of messing up is not going to keep me from being obedient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, not, I'm going to be obedient. Why? Because that's what God wants. He does not want us to live in fear. That is why if athletes are Christians, quit being soft. Let's just hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Kumbaya. Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. That's old 70s language. Kumbaya, my Lord. I feel like we got a Coke commercial with a bunch of lights. I like to teach the world. Just give me a Coke, please. I'll take the calories. But hold the fear of the Lord. Fear is good if it's healthy. In other words, I respect God, but I'm not paralyzed by God. He has set me free. Because I don't strive for righteousness. Come on, somebody, I'm going to give you a good word. I think Pike wrote about what, what Jesus demands from the world. I don't strive for righteousness. I strive from righteousness. Uh-huh. Yeah, you can write that down. All right, so behold the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom, and to turn away from evil. That is understanding. That's Job. See, fear the Lord is good. Revelation 15, verse 4. Oh, this is one of my favorites. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you, O Lord, are holy. All nations will bow and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Whoa, I just love that scripture. That's what they're saying in heaven right now. For who will not fear you, O Lord? There's something he said about fear, but Jesus over, overcame. Listen, if the fear between us and God is removed, I'm talking about the unhealthy fear, the one that paralyzes us, that makes us feel like we can't trust God. Adam and Eve language when the serpent was talking to Eve. 
If that fear is removed, then guess what? We have freedom to live. So, man is not, man is created, not the creator. That's fear. We want to subvert God and exchange his glory for another. So what happens when we don't fear God, we begin to fear everybody else. So then this is what we do. Romans chapter 1, 22 and 23. Uh, I love this. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. So what happens is God has put this, his glory in us. That's Jesus Christ. Listen, if Jesus steps into my heart, then my life will never be the same. So this is what it means. Jesus came. The reason why Jesus came, remember, he was before. He was the word of God before it became the name Yeshua. He always has been. And he always will be. But he came on this earth so that we can overcome in him, thereby him being glorified, and people see, wow, there's a greater treasure in him than anything else I can do, than having a great family, having a great career, having great finances, or retiring by the age of 50, which is the American lie. Because here's why. Maybe it's because my family's older, but this is what I see. When I see people retire from work, I see them retire from Jesus. Come on, that's gospel. And that's sad. So when you change that glory, you're going to fill it with something else. Even psychology. You know, I've coached, this is why I can't stand secular psychology. So, all right, I got to quit smoking, I got to quit smoking. So the moment I, I got to quit smoking, oh, somebody said, oh, go, go do 10 push-ups. Like, you have to replace the desire. You have to replace the addiction. But here's the problem with replacing a man's thing. When I replace addiction with something else of man, I'm only become addicted to the thing of man. I'd rather replace it with God and become addicted to him. So you can't just say, stop doing it. Stop doing an addiction. Stop doing an addiction. You can't. You have to replace it. But the problem is when you replace it with man things, it's never enough. That's, that's counseling 101. But when we surrender to King Jesus, we have union with Christ, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. This is why Jesus overcame, or Jesus came so that we can overcome fear. Hey, I love this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in, the, in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds power, the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives are held in slavery by the fear of death. I love people saying, I don't fear death. I don't fear death. Then why do you work out so much? Why do you try to eat right? People say they don't fear death, but boy, they sure trying to live. My point is, sometimes not talking about death, running from it, any of that language means they're afraid of it. And Jesus broke that power. Last thing I want to do is this. And so, as we get ready, the moment here to land this. Jesus came to overcome us. Jesus came to overcome us. Here's the problem. Luke chapter 2. So after the angels encountered him, Count of them. Verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace.
to those on whom his favor rests. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that had happened. Remember, they had tasted God, now they got to go see God, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph. I love that word, they hurried off. You want to know why? Because here's what happens. When Jesus came, Jesus came to overcome us, what happens is he gives us a fire in our heart. You see, when, when the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit lives inside, because, listen, you can't have a relationship with God without the Holy Spirit, which means we can't do what God is asking us to do. That's the beauty of Christmas. He's giving to us way more than we're going to. We give out of response. He gives because we need. God doesn't need anything from us. I want you to know, he has a, uh, uh, Piper said this years and years ago, he has a no help wanted sign. Thank you very much. Acts 17, you can read it. He doesn't need anything, but God chooses us to allow us to be a part of it. So, but we can't minister to God, be with God, taste God without the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus said. Listen to this. Um, uh, John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 3, 11 and 12. Here we go. I baptize you with the water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in what? I love that. Because in Acts chapter 2, what happened? When, when tongues of what? Fire. When God enters here, fire comes out. Listen, I absolutely, I absolutely, when I was coaching and was alive with God, I absolutely gave Satan everything. I, I remember this. Um, so I was, I was a GA. I made a whopping $3,600 in temple. And I was very poor. And, uh, and my in-laws, I literally lived my in-laws some of the greatest times of my life. Not for them, but for me. Uh, I remember my, my mother-in-law had these rolls. And she was going to make dinner. Because, I mean, I, I can't buy dinner. I'm just eating off them. I'm eating off their food. They're, they're like working to support me. And so I'm in there. And I came home. It was early one day. And I'll never forget, I saw these rolls. I thought they were donuts. I ate the whole bag. So she came home that night. She's like, oh, where are the rolls for dinner? Those are rolls. Well, anyway, you know, I had to live off it. But I remember I had some money. I went right with the Lord. So uh, my, my, my graduate class, we get done this class, and um, we go out to City Line near Villanova because we had to teach a class. I had to teach my class at Villanova. Uh, and so we went out. And so we were at the bar, and I had like, I, I, was it $50? I don't know, Lord, $40? I don't know. But for about... Ten minutes, I was the most popular guy in the place because I was buying drinks for everybody. And I remember thinking, $50 was literally like $500, $1,000 to me at that point. When I was living for Satan, I had a lot of fire. But it was everywhere. It wasn't controlled, and it was selfish, and it was always trying to destroy other people's fire. But when I got right with God, that is why I have to preach with everything I got. I'm convicted that if I don't preach with everything I got, this is just a personal thing between the Lord and I, then I'm sinning against him because I gave Satan everything. How much more should I give the king of kings everything? And so I'm going to have to, because there's a fire that should change in you. You know the same fire you have for your sport, the same fire you have for your job or your hobby or whatever it is you do, that same fire, when you taste Jesus Christ, he came so that we he could overcome us because us can't do what he is asking us to do unless he puts himself in us. We got to exchange a fire. 
So he gives us the Holy Spirit. I, I love this. Uh, it says, his winnowing fork is at hand. He will be clear, by, uh, he will clear his stressing fork, giving his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. The same unquenchable fire which is going to destroy the ones who don't love him is the same unquenchable fire that burns in us to never stop praising him. Luke 12, Jesus said, I have come to bring fire on the earth. Now he's talking about judgment in this passage. And how I wish it were already kindled, but I have to have a baptism to undergo. And what, what constraint I am under until it's completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but division. Listen, Jesus will divide people. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Stand for Jesus in your house. And people don't love Jesus, what happens? You're the one that's crazy. Stand for Jesus in your job. You won't get many job offers if you ain't going to cuss people. Stand for Jesus. There will be division. Your friends will leave you. Because, listen, you can't bring a holy fire with a strange fire. It don't work. And now here's the thing. Everybody in this room, I sin as much as you, and I'm under stricter judgment, James 3, 1. But here's the difference. When we sin, uh, I'll say it again. I say it all the time just so you can repeat it. Here's why a, a Christian who sins is not a hypocrite. A hypocrite is a Christian who sins and says he didn't. If I commit adultery and I say I don't care, that's hypocrisy. The Bible says for all of sin and fall show the glory of God. Right? We are consistently in need of Jesus interceding. That's why we're eternally saved, because he intercedes for us. He always lives to intercede for us. Read Hebrews. So we talked about that a couple weeks ago. But the point of all this is, is that when Jesus enters here, there's something different. Everything has to, something overcomes us, the Holy Spirit. All right, so can, can we do one last thing? For y'all come and say, hands it up. I'm going I'm to rush because I'm really hungry. True. All right, so what was the second verse of the first song we sang? It says, uh, we quoted that scripture, Malachi chapter 4. Uh, what was the first song? I forgot. Oh, hark. Hark the herald angels sing. Uh, the second one, uh, Healing in His Wings. I think it was right before that. Uh, it said, maybe it was verse 3. Verse three. Sorry, Randy, I can't remember. Uh, but healing in His Wings was, yes. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Now he's going to quote scripture. Because there's a fire burning in Jesus that we see in his life when he came. He came to overcome. And he came to overcome division. He came to overcome fear. And he came to overcome whatever was contrary to him in us. Death and sickness is contrary to him in us. Jesus don't like sickness. I understand 1 John 5, 16. There's a sin that leads to death. I understand understand there's a sickness that can also lead to death, but death will not have the final word. Hell, the son of righteousness, life and light to all he brings, risen with what? It is what? Okay, listen, we're going to land this. Hell, here we go. Can you put in like um, uh, ESV Malachi 4.2? So if you got your phone, turn that. Write this down. Do something on your phone. Malachi 4.2. I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to give you a quick example. Malachi 4.2 is the last book in, in the New Testament. I mean, Old Testament, excuse me. Um, verse 2. So here's a messianic passage. Look. Look what it says up here. But for you who fear my name, 
<coughs> the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in his what? There, when we sang that, we were singing Malachi 4.2, a messianic passage that Jesus filled. Now, you may have a coat. Coat, I'm not going to put it on like sweat it out. You may have a coat. Is that yours, Robbie? Can I borrow that? It definitely won't fit. All right, so. <laughs> quick version. Uh, Mark chapter 5, uh, verse 12. Mark 5, verse 12. I think it's yeah. Uh, 13, sorry, I was one verse ahead. All right, so this is after Jesus had the encounter the demoniac, and, it, and they went out and drowned the sea. Go down to verse uh, 17. Keep going, I'm sorry. One more. And keep going. <laughs> and keep going. All right. Keep going. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Jairus. Next, next. Okay. And a great crowd followed him and a throng about him. Let's keep going. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, y'all know the drill. He, she spent all her money, right? Remember, Jesus came that he might overcome us. And that includes anything inside us that's not of him. So I'm trying to land this plane fast. I'm doing as best I can. God, I want to just nail this. And so there's a woman who had something in her that Jesus didn't like, and then said her, she spent all her money, right? So what happens, every good Jew would have a prayer shawl, right? And y'all seen it. And y'all seen the, the little cords that hang down with the five knots that they would weave in between their fingers. The five knots were Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah. They would weave it in their fingers and hold it, and it would remind them as they would pray God's word. And that was called zitzi, right? And in the corner, and the corner of it was called a kanah. In Hebrew, it's called a kanaf, or well, it was a wing. So when they would say the prayer closet, they would take the prayer shawl as they stood in the temple, wherever they were, and they would close it up like this, and this was their prayer closet. When Jesus said, go to your secret room, he's not saying go in your closet, war room, even though that's okay. What he's saying is, he's saying, go into this prayer closet with just you and God. So Jesus was wearing this prayer shawl. There's healing in his wings. And so when you would walk with a prayer shawl, you can't see this on the coat because it's heavy. But when you would walk with a prayer shawl, it would flap out, right? And look as if you had what? Let's keep going. And who had suffered much, keep going. She got worse. She heard the reports about Jesus. Came up behind him in the crowd and touched his, Matthew says, the edge of his cloak. The prayer shawl. The kanaf. The wing. She touched the wing of Jesus, his prayer shawl. She came up and touched, and here's what's interesting, keep going. But she said, even if I touch his garments, I will be made well. <laughs> He's the Messiah, Malachi 4.2. He has healing in his kanaf wings. Keep going. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Jesus came so that he might overcome us. And anything in us. That's why we pray for healing for you, man. We pray for deliverance. Why? Because we believe God is bigger than sickness and disease. When sickness and disease lead to death and he's destroyed death. 
That's my Jesus. My Jesus is not hanging on a tree. My Jesus is in the center of the throne room. Let's keep going. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out. How do you see? She didn't even touch him. She touched his cloak. The reason why he knew power went out is somebody touched him who believed he was the Messiah. Today, does anybody need to touch Jesus believing he's the Messiah? He came so that you might overcome. Because there's nothing he can't overcome. There's not a He overcomes division. He overcomes fear. And he overcomes us. <coughs> Are you really ready to pray? Because we're going to pray a prayer. And we're going to ask Jesus to overcome us. That's not a safe prayer. You don't have to pray it. I will never make anybody in this room pray it. But I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to ask you. God, because here's what's going to happen. Let's just be honest. Robbie, can I give you this? I'm going to throw this back. I'm sorry. But there's nothing. Else. Okay. All right. It's pity when you're praying for other people. You believe that God is bigger than their problem. And you believe that God is bigger than them. God is bigger than any. God is bigger than your singleness. Here's what I want to say. I hate for you to hurt because you're single. But I'm going to tell you something. Here's what you ought to do. Change your language. Instead of whining about it, start praising God about it. Watch what happens. The more you taste, the more you'll see. And the reason why we don't see is sometimes we don't taste. And here's the way to taste. God, overcome me. Overcome me. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of his testimony. And if you need prayer, I know we ain't got much room. We got room over there. We got room over there. And, and, and feel free to come and pray over somebody. But if you need prayer, or you just want to physically show God in your body what he's doing in your heart, don't be afraid because we're sitting in this tight room. I'm not going to deny Jesus in, in front of man so he'll deny me in front of the Father. Let's stand up and see what God will do. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you right now because Jesus came to overcome. And there's some things that God's got to overcome in us. And so, Lord, I'm praying right now that you will overcome anything in us that is not of you. Lord, if there's somebody in this room that needs prayer because they are just sensing, I need a little bit of an overcoming, that God may they come to the one who will overcome and who has overcome. And there's nothing that you cannot defeat. You are champion, not the world's Goliath. And so, Lord, if there's somebody in this prayer, they'll come up right now. Come and kneel and pray. Just as I'm praying, they'll come and say, Lord, I'm asking for this week to overcome. Maybe there's some people we need to pray for right now. We need to invite Christmas Eve. Maybe there's some people we need to invite Christmas Day. Maybe there's family members we need to bring. Maybe there's family members who'll say, I'm not going even I'm at your house. I'm not going because it's Christmas Day. Whatever else. God, I pray today. Lord, Jesus came so that he will overcome. And the only way for us to overcome is to taste Jesus. God, you are so merciful. Overcome. Overcome anything. Some of us, we, we, we buried loved ones and this Christmas is, whoo! Some of us have lost relationships and this Christmas is, some of us in this room have decisions to make. Some of us have people that need to restore. Some of us have been called to situations our flesh screams against. But God, 
Jesus came so that we will overcome. And so I'm asking you today to put and to rise up your Holy Spirit within us so that we're more than conquerors. This is our act of worship, Lord. The more we kneel before you, the less we'll bow before anybody else. Lord, we come. We come. In the matchless name of Jesus, who saves us and redeems us for those who believe with all their heart and it shows by the repentance in their fruit. Lord, for everyone in this room to stop looking to you and start tasting you. They're lost in this room and they're going to bust hell wide open. I pray they will see Jesus because they tasted him. That's the way your spiritual economy or kingdom works. It's backwards from the world because it's right. And the world love you, Lord. For those that are believers in this room, let's taste you more. Because you came.